Hello, and welcome to the Commander Theory Podcast. I'm Nick Beatman, and I'm here with my friend, Zach Mack. Hello, theorists. Uh, so we've gotten a trickle of Dungeons & Dragons Adventures in the Forgotten Realm spoilers over the last couple of weeks. Uh, and so we're going to take this episode to summarize everything we've heard so far, all the, the new commanders, the new potential main deck cards, uh, pretty much everything we've seen. And then next week, of course, we're jumping into spoiler season. Uh, we're really getting into the deep end because it's going to be a, a fire hose of spoilers every day. Um, so this one's going to be a little bit light, but uh, the next couple episodes are going to be intense. So strap in, everyone. Yeah. <laughs> so do you want to just like jump into it or do you want to do some like expectations before we talk about them? Uh, well, really quickly, I just want to do a Patreon plug. Uh, <laughs> If you head on over to patreon.com slash commander theory, you can support the show and get sweet benefits for as little as $1 a month. If you aren't ready to be a patron yet, you can help us out by rating or reviewing us wherever you get your podcast. So we're going to start off with the commanders. So far, we've only seen one new mechanic, and we're going to be as uh, because there is a commander that interacts with that mechanic, uh, that's kind of where we're going to be going in depth into like our how, how we're evaluating that mechanic. Yes. Um, but once we get through the commanders, we'll go into the planeswalkers we've seen so far, and then the main deck cards. Uh, with that, do you want to start us off with the first legendary creature we're going to be talking about? Yes, so this is a white commander. This is Nadar Selfless Paladin. So they are a 3-3 dragon knight for three mana, two and a white. They have Vigilance. And they have whenever Nadar Selfless Paladin enters the battlefield or attacks, venture into the dungeon. They have another line, creatures you control get plus one, plus one, as long as you've completed a dungeon. But now you might be asking, like, what a dungeon is <laughs> and yeah. how you venture into them. So uh, do you want me to get into that or do you want to talk about that yourself? I'll start us off by mm -hmm. um, giving a brief overview of what it, exactly it means to venture into the dungeon mm -hmm. um so basically at all times you're gonna have access to these three dungeons that are being printed in this set uh, and these are basically cards that go in your sideboard but don't count towards sideboard slots in commander you don't have a sideboard but you, you still have access to them at all times um, and when you venture into the dungeon if there's not already a dungeon out and in your command zone uh, then you get to choose one of these three dungeons. Uh, it goes into your command zone, and you basically mark your progress through the dungeon uh, because each subsequent venture is going to push you further into the dungeon, and you're going to get choices in terms of which path to follow, which will impact the effects that, that the dungeon grants you. So this is a pretty out-there mechanic. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I just want to mention that even though you're kind of pulling dungeons from outside the game, they aren't cards uh, yeah. <laughs> they're actually printed in the token slots in this set the commander rules do not prohibit you from venturing into the dungeon from pulling those out and putting them in your command zone you can kind of think of them like glorified tokens or like tokens that like represent something or like an emblem or something like that so even though they're like as we talk about them there's going to be a lot of text on them mm -hmm. um it's i don't know it's it feels kind of hand wavy to me to be fair i i agree i think that you might have a, a little bit of trouble explaining to a new player like why venture into the dungeon works yeah. but why like learn and lesson does not because they mm -hmm. seem very similar to untrained eyes yeah um 
but it's fine. I'm okay. I, I mean, of course, I would love for like learning lesson to work, but I'm happy that the the big sets mechanic works in the most popular format. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I'm not going to complain about it. Yeah, definitely. Do we want to talk about the dungeons later? Do you want to talk about them now? Let, let's read through them. Um, okay. I, I'm going to try to go in order from. God, this is like the worst thing for an audio podcast. I but, mean, like uh, the easiest to complete to the hardest to complete, kind of. Uh, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna try to go from like least complex to most complex. Okay. All right. So the first one we're gonna be talking about is Tomb of Annihilation. Uh, the first room. So this, when you initially venture into the dungeon, this is where your token is going to be placed, uh, is Trapped Entry. And the effect on that is each player loses one life. From there, you get your first choice. Um, you can either go into the Veils of Fear, in which each player loses two life unless they discard a card, or you can go to the Oubliette, which is discard a card and sacrifice an artifact, a creature, and a land. So obviously, Oubliette seems much more painful than Veils of Fear. Yep. And you may be asking, like, why would I choose that? But it's because Oubliette is basically a shortcut to get you to the last stage, whereas if you take the Veils of Fear, then you have to go into another room, which is Sandfall Cell. So Sandfall Cell is each player loses two life unless they sacrifice an artifact, a creature, or a land. So another, it's kind of similar to Veils of, Veil of Fear. It offers everyone a choice. And then... Both Sandfall Cell and Oubliette lead to Cradle of the Death God, which is create the Atropal. Again, I'm going to probably butcher a lot of uh, pronunciation yeah. of like established D&D things because I'm just <laughs> not as familiar with the lore. If you know, please correct me. Yeah, please um, do. But Cradle of the Death God, create the Atropal, a legendary 4-4 black god horror creature token with death touch. I guess one thing that's worth talking about is what do you think like the right path is for this one? This is like the simplest one because there's really only one choice involved. What path are you taking through the Tomb of Annihilation? I mean, this one seems to me like an attrition dungeon. So it, let's say there is a like black kind of um, controly list. Like this dungeon seems like a win condition to me because running through this dungeon basically drains everyone for five life if you go the one route with the two rooms and also you get a four four death touch god horror <laughs> yeah. so it just kind of seems to me like if we get and we're going to say this so many times if we get a good enough rate on uh venturing that this dungeon seems like the one that is gonna kind of end games for an attrition based strategy it is unfortunate that the token is legendary. Yeah. I've kind of already been thinking about, you know, how can I maximize my venture? Because they're like, should I try to go for combos where I'm venturing infinite times? And unfortunately, these 4-4 four, four black god horror creature tokens are, are not going to stack up because they're all legendary. Yes. Um, so that's one unfortunate uh, fact about the Tomb of Annihilation. But if you have infinite venture and you happen to have more life than your opponent's, you may, as you said, just be able to use this as a win condition. Mm -hmm. Which gets us to the next one, which offers a, a few more choices than this mm -hmm. first one. Do you want me to try and go through this? and then? Yeah, go for it. Okay. Um, so this is the Lost Mind of Fandelver. And this is actually like a pretty popular um, adventure module. So I know a lot of people have run this, this campaign. 
Um, the first room is the cave entrance. It says Scry 1. And then you're offered a choice between Goblin Lair or Mine Tunnels. So Goblin Lair, you create a 1-1 red goblin creature token. Mine Tunnels, you create a treasure token. So if you choose Goblin Lair, you get two choices. You can either go to the storeroom or the dark pool. So the storeroom is put a plus one plus one counter on target creature. The dark pool is each opponent loses one life and you gain one life. And then the mine tunnels, you get two choices. You can either go to the dark pool or you can go to the fungi cavern where target creature gets minus four, minus zero until your next turn. So those two, it starts with the cave entrance, goes to the two, the tunnels or the lair, and then it goes to these three on the bottom beneath them. And then the final room of this dungeon is Temple of, oh, I need to read it. Dumathoin? Yeah, Dumathoin, Dumathoin, Dumathoin. I'm going to go with Dumathoin because Dumathoin sounds bad. Yeah. Um, so Temple of Dumathoin is just simply draw a card. So you run through this dungeon. It gives you a few more options, all of them more positive than the Tomb of Annihilation. Um, and the maximum time you can complete this dungeon is four. I like this one better than the Tomb of Annihilation for a couple of reasons. This is granting you multiple types of resources. It can get you mana in the form of the treasure tokens. It will drain your opponents out with the if you take the dark pool each time. Uh, you know, provides both card uh, selection in the form of scrying one and card advantage by letting you draw a card. And with the Tomb of Annihilation, if you're trying to like win the game with the Tomb of Annihilation, it's actually kind of difficult because you have to figure like, well, if an opponent doesn't want to lose two life, they can discard a card. And if they don't want to lose two life to the Sandfall Cell, they can sacrifice like an artifact creature or land. So you have to do to so to actually figure out if infinite like venturing will win you the game with Tomb of Annihilation. It it like just a lot of work to tally up everyone's permanence and everyone's yeah. cards in hand and like convert that into life and like you may not know until you're it's just like a ton of busy work to figure out if I win or lose the game. Yeah. Um whereas Lost Mine of Fandelver, you don't have to do that. If you are going through this infinite times, you will just win the game because each opponent loses one life and you gain one life. No confusion there. Mm-hmm. Um mm-hmm. Do do you want me to get into this last one or do you want to try and take I'll, it? On? I'll do this last one. This okay. is the the longest one. Yes. The others were, you know, between three and four rooms. This one is Dungeon of the Mad Mage. Uh, the mm-hmm. entrance is Yawning Portal. You gain one life. Uh, next, it's Dungeon Level, which is Scry 1. And then following the Dungeon Level, uh, you're given a choice between the Goblin Bazaar, in which you create a treasure token, and the Twisted Caverns, where target creature can't attack until your next turn. Both the Goblin Bazaar and Twisted Caverns lead to the Lost Level, and when you hit that, you Scry 2. And then from the last level, you're given a choice between Runestone Caverns, where you exile the top two cards of your library and you may play them. Note that it's play, which means you can drop lands. Uh, and also there's no timing restriction on this. So it's really just kind of like drawing two cards, but you're giving away some information. The other option, if you're going from the lost level, is Murals Graveyard, which is create two 1-1 black skeleton creature tokens. Both the Runestone Caverns and Mural's Graveyard converge on the Deep Mines, and when you hit the Deep Mines, you scry three. And then finally, uh, after you leave the Deep Mines, uh, you go to the Mad Wizard's Lair, which is draw three cards and reveal them. You may cast one of them without paying its mana cost. 
I like the Dungeon of the Mad Mage the most. Yeah. Um, it, I mean, it's it's definitely longer than the others, but the overall value once you average it out across all the venturing is probably greater than any of the other dungeons. Um, just because you're scrying six or you're scrying one, then scrying two, then scrying three, you're essentially drawing two cards off the Runestone Caverns. You're essentially drawing three or you're drawing three cards off mad wizard's layer you're going to cast one of them for free and then you're also just accruing some other smaller things as you go through this dungeon um so it seems just like a lot of cards a lot of card selection a lot of mana uh this seems great especially and and even if you're not going infinite if you can get like a pretty good rate for venturing i think this is your best option yes so I think that's a really good segue back to Nadar. Um, so now that we know like what venturing can get you, <laughs> um, th- we have seen some rewards that we're not going to talk about this episode because they're bad <laughs> mm-hmm. for adventuring or for venturing. Sorry. Um, but there's another creature, a white uncommon. It's an artifact creature gargoyle called cloister gargoyle for three mana, uh, two and a white. It's a zero four. And it says when it enters the battlefield, venture into the dungeon. And as long as you've completed a dungeon, it gets plus three, plus oh, and has flying. So you play it for first, it just ventures you. But I'm assuming this is going to be like how a white does this. Because that's such a similar trigger to Nadar. Um, Mm -hmm. So if white does get like ephemerate and things like that, like (laughs) hopefully... We get some more stuff, and it's a pretty easy, kind of trivial way to kind of secretly give white card draw, you know? Yeah, we do know at this point that, well, one of the pre-cons in four Adventures in the Forgotten Realms um, is called Dungeons of Death. So yeah. we don't know for a fact that involves dungeons, but it's probably a pretty safe bet. Um, and so it's likely that we're going to get another, at least one other commander that uh, ventures and interacts with dungeons in some way. Yeah, because um, as you'll hear me say later, it's kind of a shame. It would be a shame if the only venture like dungeon commander is mono white, because uh, as you'll see, there's venture in pretty much every color <laughs> so far. So it seems like the main mechanic of this set, all things considered. So, um. Yeah, I guess with all that said, there's a lot of stuff up in the air. Do we want to get to one that we can more concretely talk about? <laughs> well, I, I will say before we move on that mm-hmm. currently I'm thinking that with Nadar, like when I see this, I just want to get like infinite blinks or infinite entering the battlefield mm-hmm. or or like sacrificing and reanimating maybe. Yep. That's kind of what I want to do with him uh, just because I think that Entering the battlefield or attacking is like too slow of a rate, yeah, to really be worth it. Like looking at some of these dungeons, especially the ones we liked more, like the Lost Mine of Fandelver or Dungeon of the Mad Mage. You know, if you even if you give him haste with like a Lightning Greaves or something, uh, you're just you know if you're in the Lost Mine of Fandelver, you've scried one and maybe made a treasure token. If you're going for the Dungeon of the Mad Mage, you gain one life and scry one with those two triggers, like. You really need to be venturing a lot for yeah. it to be worth it. Mm-hmm. And so I would be trying to set up some sort of combo um, with this commander. Like maybe something involving like a Nim Death Mantle and like uh, Ashnod's Altar or something like that. Um, maybe, 
I, I think there's a lot of ways to just like sac or there's a, a fair number of ways to like sacrifice and reanimate any creature and, and blink it a bunch of times. So I would be trying to make that happen with Nadar. Yeah. I don't know if there's another strategy you would try to take him in. Um, I think as someone who's played God Eternal Aketra, like there is a decent amount of blinking that happens in white and it is difficult but not impossible to do like infinite blinks also. And also the benefit of being in white is that you don't have too many good cards to play. So you could put in <laughs> like the Ashnod's Altar, Nim Death Mantle stuff along with the blinking and it would just kind of be like a good some good cards in your deck so those yeah i was kind of thinking about the same lines as you on this like nadar if we get enough creatures that like etb venture actually might be fun enough but it really is like it really really depends on if we can actually get there you know yeah what i would be a lot more interested in seeing um hopefully for this commander that we're about to get in the dungeons of death precon is like where venturing is the is like the the effect you get based on some trigger that it mm -hmm. wants you to do like whenever a creature dies venture into the dungeon yeah something like that something that you can like more proactively get um something that you kind of can kind of build your deck around getting and venturing is like the reward because it is it is a pretty good reward um you know you're you're getting a lot of cards you're getting a lot of mana you're getting a lot of resources i think that that's maybe more fun than um attaching it to something that's not as easy to make happen like normally only get one end of the battlefield trigger and you normally only get one attack trigger per turn um so excited to see what other venture commanders we get yeah definitely and yeah fingers crossed we get one more um at least <laughs> so I guess, can I read off this next card? Yeah, go for it. So this is uh, a familiar face to some. This is Drizzt Duerden. This is a 3-3 elf ranger with double strike for three green-white. So five mana, 3-3 three, three double strike. When Drizzt enters the battlefield, create... Oh, I can never say the name. Maybe Gunwivar? Yeah, Gunwivar. I, I did not read the books. I'm sorry. I just knew Drizzt. All the people yelling at me right now. I'm, I'm just guessing either. I have also not read the books. Sorry, everyone. <laughs> um, a legendary 4-1 uh, green cat creature token with trample. So uh, you create Gunwinvar, gun, gun a legendary 4-1 green cat token with trample, and then he has another ability. Whenever a creature dies, if it had power greater than Drizzt power, Put a number of plus one plus one counters on Drizzt equal to the difference. You can kind of see the synergy there. <laughs> um, what do you think about this deck? Uh, so there are some like very cheap creatures with extremely high power uh, that die easily, uh, you know, without much provocation. I'm thinking of things like Phyrexian Dreadnought, the one mana 12-12 that when it enters the battlefield, you have to sacrifice a whole bunch of stuff uh, or else it sacrifices. I think that would make a lot of sense here. Basically, if you you know play Drist and then play Phyrexian Dreadnought, then he's immediately going to get nine plus plus one counters. Uh, there's also Force of Savagery, Savagery, the two and a green for an 8-0 with Trample. So you play that, it immediately dies. Uh, Drist gets five counters. 
Phyrexian Soulgorger. Uh, and then there's some other ones like Brothama, Nessian Boar, Groundbreaker. You know, there's a handful of things like this. I wouldn't want to get too high on the density because it is worth noting that um, that because you know he only checks if it has power greater than Drist. So all of these types of creatures are pretty bad in multiples. Like once you get the nine counters off your Phyrexian Dreadnought, then any other like Horse of Savagery or, or Phyrexian Soulgorger dying is not going to get you any additional benefit. Um, so he does kind of cap out most likely after one of your big guys dies. Yeah. The other, the thing I was thinking about this kind of taking that into account was um, just pretty much every single green, what's, what are they called? Garak's, Garak's whatever. There's like the, Oh, like draw cards equal to something's power. Yeah. There's Garak's pack leader. There's Garak's uprising. There's the mono green Garak that you, draw cards to go to power like you're just gonna have so many of these like big things and or drizzt is gonna be so big most of the time mm-hmm. that those are good and that's not like anything special these days mm-hmm. <laughs> you know like drizzt isn't opening up a whole new like area of design a lot of the cards that are good in drizzt have been uh good in other decks so um which kind of actually if I can say this here, I think gets to something about this set that I've been noticing is I think they did this on purpose where they, they took characters that people know and are memorable that they know they will play regardless of how strong they are. Like Drizzt isn't mm-hmm. unplayable. Like Drizzt can be big fast. He can kill you as double strike. He can give it evasion. Like there's stuff you can do with Drizzt, but Drizzt is definitely not pushing the power like other commanders and other sets that we've gotten in the past so i think what they're doing is using this flavor set as a way to kind of tone it down a little bit knowing that people are going to be excited just because drizzt is here now yeah i totally agree with you it reminds me a lot of sort of the power level they set with the um, walking dead secret layer cards mm -hmm. yeah exactly Uh, on those, they were definitely going for flavor, and the power level was not super high. Um, so I, I think what you're saying totally makes sense. There are other places where they want to burn sort of like their card power and maybe like their more innovative designs. Because I, I feel like Drist is also, as you said, it's not anything we haven't seen before. Mm-hmm. And because people are, they just want to see Drist be cool and it certainly is cool to like play Driz, play a Phyrexian Dreadnought, and attack someone for twenty four. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I've definitely played Phyrexian Dreadnought in a few commander lists at this point. Mm-hmm. It's like not a a card. It's a card that you need a special place for, but a lot of those places exist. So it's not yeah. like he's like just sitting in your binder too often. You you can find a place for it. Um, and this will come up again with another uh, legendary creature we're going to talk about momentarily, too. <laughs> oh, yeah. A specific, very splashy one with multiple heads, but we'll get there. Um, uh, I don't know. Is there any other tech you want to get to before we move on from uh, Drizzt? Well, I was going to mention that Grafted Exoskeleton uh, makes Drizzt a one-hit KO, but oh. honestly, a lot of cards make him a one-hit KO. So yeah. <laughs> not 
not too special. I, I think we can move on, though. Uh, could, do you mind if I read this next one? No, it's totally fine. All right. So this next commander is Bruinor Battlehammer. Two red-white for a 5-3 legendary creature dwarf warrior. Each creature you control gets plus 2 plus 0 for each equipment attached to it. And you may pay zero rather than pay the equip cost of the first equip ability you activate each turn. I don't know about you, but this uh, this looks kind of familiar to me. Yes, um, for some reason they were like, we found cool space for Boros. And then they just didn't leave it for like three years. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. To me, this looks a lot like Halvar. It looks a lot mm-hmm. like Arden. Um, it's, it's crazy that we're seeing three of these designs in the space of like six months. Yeah, they've all, yeah, exactly. Like a lot of these have come out really close to each other. Um, Cause I was surprised when like Zendikar rising came out like, and then commander legends and just all of this stuff, all the call time stuff. Like it seemed like we just kept getting in every set. There's at least one Boros or fits into the Boros equipment deck commander and this is kind of just that you know there's i mean a lot of the tech that works there works really well here um if you've ever wanted to hit someone with a colossus hammer here you this go one of the the many commanders that will allow you to do yeah so. you you can definitely do that here um black blade reforge who cares if it's not legendary just put a put a big sword on him you know like sure. there's not not too much to say to say about him, you know? Yeah. The one thing I'll I'll throw out there is that Leon and Shikari allows you to play equip ability or activate equip abilities anytime you cast an instant. Um so if you do that, then Bruinor is able to allow you to equip things for free also on your opponent's turns. Mm. Um so that's one notable piece of tech, but otherwise, like like you said, it's not gonna be very different from what you would have in like an Arden list with red in it or honestly in a half our list mm-hmm. yeah it's crazy they just got it so right with arden like mm-hmm. like so good that card is so good that i think it's like now all of these subsequent ones just fare pretty unfavorably <laughs> yeah it's so weird for them to like iter- continue to iterate on a successful design I don't, I don't really know what they're going for here yeah, I don't know. Maybe uh, it's going to be like the Mono Black Squad where they're like, yeah, you can put all of these Boros commanders into your Boros equipment deck seasoned with the equipment you like and it'll sure. be pretty good <laughs> or something like that. I don't know. Because <laughs> they also, there's Cole, the Forge Master. There's so many of them, you know, so. Yeah, now I'm wondering, like, are they like trying to fill out main deck cards or like another commander like oh. what if there's a commander that was just like a really big sword that was expensive to equip and then like no okay now how now halvar and arden and Bruno are, are all tech for this sword commander maybe that's the, the plan mm-hmm. huh. yeah maybe maybe someday <laughs> uh moving on to the last commander of the day uh do you want to read this one off yes uh this is tiamat Simply Tiamat. Uh, this is a 7-7 seven, seven flying dragon god for two white, blue, black, red, green. So Wooburg plus two. So you got a 7-7 seven, seven flyer for seven. That's cool, right? Uh, it also has when Tiamat enters the battlefield, if you cast it, search your library for up to five dragon cards not named Tiamat. 
that each have different names. Reveal them, put them into your hand, then shuffle. So Tiamat is a like dragon god from D and D, as the type line implies, kind of the mother of like the evil chromatic dragons. Um, and lots of people worship her because she's big and cool, has multiple heads. Um, do you do you think she's gonna usurp our uh, Dominarian five color dragon dragon Absolutely lord? Absolutely not. No. <laughs> yep. Uh, yeah, this doesn't really compare to the Ur Dragon. If you're trying to do Dragon Tribal, like if it's in really with- well. Yeah, I mean, you can. Put, it will definitely like reload your hand full of gas. Mm-hmm. I would run it in the main deck of like other dragon tribal lists. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But the problem with dragons is not that they aren't all in your hand at once; it's <laughs> that they're really expensive. And I think the Ur Dragon just does a better job of solving that problem. And then similarly, if you're just trying to tutor out dragons, like this is way way worse than Scion of the Ur Dragon. Yes, um, you know, Scion comes down multiple turns earlier. Scion becoming something is way better than like getting a dragon card and putting it into your hand. Um, and also putting dragons into your graveyard is better than putting it into your hand. I, I think Tiamat is just kind of falling victim to the the thing you were discussing earlier yes. where people are coming to magic from D&D. They don't understand all the context of magic. They don't know the history of magic. And so they don't know that there are way better commanders to do this mechanical thing they just care like oh this is tiamat and it's a cool execution of tiamat and i'm happy and i'm gonna and i can build a deck around this you say that's awesome yeah 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 i think this is entirely flavor because like if you were to build this deck you'd be putting in all of the typical things that make tribal cheaper right you'd be putting in oh what's the urza's incubator incubator and uh What's the Dragon Speaker Shaman? Yeah, it, not Heirloom Blade, but what's the other one that they came up with recently? The the Horn. Oh, Harold's Horn. Harold's Horn. Yeah, so it, it would look really similar to like all the stuff that's in Scion decks and Tribalists in general, but also probably be less efficient <laughs> than yeah. all of those things at the same time. So Which is fine. Yeah. yeah. And honestly, like I'm actually not like upset at any of that i'm not actually upset that drizzt is is not uh gonna be a commander powerhouse i'm not actually upset that tiamat isn't usurping our current best dragon commander because that would be insane <laughs> yeah it would have to be like the ur dragon and eminence is already busted the sign of the ur dragon is also pretty busted mm-hmm. not being better than like some like messed up magic cards is fine yeah probably healthier for the format yep totally totally agree and i just hope that people make their tiamat decks and have a good time you know yep um so now we're into the planeswalkers so we've seen two so far uh and they're they're both interesting for a bunch of reasons um Mm -hmm. can i read this first one off sure so this is lolth spider queen uh they are a black Lolth Planeswalker with four loyalty. They cost five mana, three black black. They have a static ability. Whenever a creature you control dies, put a loyalty counter on Lolth Spider Queen. Uh, They have a zero. Draw a card and lose a life. They have minus three. Create two two one black spider creature tokens with menace and reach. And they have minus eight. 
You get an emblem with whenever an opponent is dealt combat damage by one or more of your creatures. If that player has lost less than eight life this turn, they lose life equal to the difference. <laughs> so, okay. So that, that emblem is a mouthful. My yeah. understanding is basically that if like any combination of creatures you control hitting one player would deal less than eight damage or, or rather cause them to lose less than eight life, they lose eight life. Yeah, there you go. Um, so basically, yeah, for for creatures hitting your opponent, the minimum is eight life. I think that there's a couple things about the, about this commander that make it kind of interesting. For one, the the static ability, or rather the triggered ability that lets it gain loyalty counters, I think that's pretty easy to pull off in certain commanders. Yeah. I'm thinking of like Endric Sar, maybe. Uh, Endric Sar like, makes a bunch of thralls really easily. And of course, you also want sack outlets in that deck to, to manage your thrall count so that Endric Sar doesn't die. So I think you could realistically like um, get this down when you have a bunch of thralls and a sack outlet lying around and then immediately ultimate her. Um, and then, of course, you know, you've got these 1 1 idiot thralls. And now they are basically like eight ones when they hit players. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of attractive. I don't think that like making spiders for three loyalty is super attractive. Um, no. <laughs> although it is worth noting that you can, uh, you know, you can make your spiders sack them and you recoup most of the loyalty you put into it. Mm. And then the, the zero draw card, that's fine. I just. I don't know how powerful that emblem is. It doesn't seem that great to me on the the scales we're talking about for yeah. life totals. Yeah, I think they were worried about like just setups in Commander where like you have a bunch of tokens, you play this, you sack them, get the emblem immediately, um, and then like every single thing is a threat, which I think is one of the reasons Loth is cool. I think that's that's not a line of play that's going to be hard to do. Uh, I don't think it's going to happen every game. Um, I actually like this card a lot. Uh, I I don't think it's busted because, like you said, the minus three is like not not super good. You know, <laughs> yeah, uh, not the best. But the fact that she basically draws cards, she kind of like in a deck that kind of already wants this. There's probably like Tetsuo Umazawa. Is that the one I'm thinking? The right Umazawa. Are you thinking of Tetsuko? Tetsuko Umazawa, there you go. Yeah. Um so is, like, they are very close. Yeah. <laughs> There's probably a deck that wants that is running her that is gonna want to run Lolth that's like blue black, blue black X or something like that. So one of the things about Lolth that is interesting to me is that I had thought she was like this demonic spider god. She was this like the queen of spiders who the drow worshipped and like listened to. I was not aware that she could walk be, between the planes. Yeah, that she had the equivalent of a spark on the Forgotten Realms, you know? <laughs> yeah, I, I think that um, this is just the kind of weird thing that happens when they, like, set restrictions on themselves. Like, every new set has to have at least one planeswalker. Yeah. So when they do a set like this, where they're they're pulling in source material that doesn't have planeswalkers, they got to make it fit somehow um yeah so yeah i agree it's it's kind of weird because it doesn't really mean the same thing then again like you know we've we've talked plenty of times about how 
we could play magic just as well with like you know white squares of cardboard with yeah. black writing and no pictures so yeah it's, whatever it's it's not it's a functional game piece exactly like i i like i said i like lulf actually i think this is a cool card uh and probably will have places in a few decks like a handful over time um even if it's not like an all-time staple like the the spread of this card is very small <laughs> yeah but for sure it does something cool and uh i just think they appropriately costed it which is um not always the best for <laughs> commander players <laughs> yeah uh, so this is Eliwick Tumblestrum, two green green for a four loyalty planeswalker Eliwick. She has plus one venture into the dungeon, minus two. Look at the top six cards of your library. You may reveal a creature card from among from among them and put it into your hand. If it's legendary, you gain three life. Put the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. Minus seven. You get an emblem with creatures you control have trample and haste and get plus two, plus two for each differently named dungeon you've completed. So I actually really like this design. Eliwick, uh, this, she doesn't really give you venturing at a great rate. You know, Planeswalkers are, of course, limited to one activation per turn, uh, and most of the, the dungeons don't get good until the very late parts. Uh, so the idea of activating this, like, you know, three times before I finally get to the bottom of the Mines of Phandelver and get my card is not really appealing to me. It will probably draw you a card, but minus two on a four loyalty planeswalker is not a great rate either. You know, yeah. we're we've seen like this on a plus ability multiple times on on other green planeswalkers. So I just not very hyped about that. And then the minus seven is like kind of a joke because we've seen other planeswalker ultimates that for about the same amount of loyalty that just give straight plus two plus two and you don't have to have like completed the dungeon like you don't have to have ventured at least three to four times <laughs> uh to, to get that buff yeah if we get a commander deck commander for forgotten realms that ventures and is green um she might be fine there if we could just get venturing at like a really like easy rate, you know, um, but she's definitely more if you're into venturing and like the flavor of that than mm -hmm. like a super powerful game piece. <laughs> yeah, this and and maybe it's the case that there's going to be a whole bunch of things that like venture once per turn, and I could see like maybe getting a critical mass of those together because mm -hmm. if you venture like four times a turn, thanks to these four different cards that actually becomes kind of sweet. That actually yeah. is uh, getting to be pretty valuable. Yeah, that's kind of what I'm looking forward to. If, like, Eliwick plus, like, your commander plus, like, one other card equals, like, four to five ventures in a turn, then, like, then I'm pretty excited to actually play the venture deck. But mm -hmm. um, I I really... I'm not just going to put Eliwick in... Uh, a mono green list you know like yeah i'm just getting everything she does at a better rate mm -hmm. so that's that's kind of where i'm at with her i do like the design i like I, how they're really pushing this kind of off the wall design in multiple card types so now there's even a planeswalker who's gonna venture if you want that that's cool to me i think yeah. all right i think we can move on to the main deck cards do you want to read off this first deck card yes so 
This is a hilarious one. This is Flumpf, a 0-4 jellyfish for one and a white. So just two mana. It has Defender, it has Flying, and it has whenever Flumpf is dealt damage, you and target opponent each draw a card. So uh, this is just a, just a pillow fort card, right? This is just, that's all I'm doing with this. I was thinking like, I was thinking like group hug. Um, yeah. Because unlike a lot of group hug stuff where it's like each player draws a card, you know, you and target opponent is a bit more attractive. Tell me if this sounds terrible. Okay. Like you're playing group hug and you have your three opponents and they each have, you know, some crappy creatures on the board and you tell them like, you know, whoever attacks me, I will choose them to be the target opponent when the flump is dealt damage. So just send your tokens or whatever my way and we'll both benefit. So if you do that, then you're drawing three cards per round of turns and each of your opponents is drawing one card per round of turns. So like, yeah, net, if you like view your opponent as like a single entity yeah. or your <laughs> opponents as a single entity, then it's like exactly the same, but you're really pulling ahead. You're getting more, kind of getting more than any anyone else. I don't know. That doesn't seem like, that seems like something that could work out politically yeah, uh, and, and kind of make everyone happy, but you're benefiting a little bit more than everyone else. Yeah. I, think? I, I actually agree with that. I, I was kind of joking when I said it was a uh, <laughs> pillow fort card because this doesn't do anything to pill. This like incentivizes people attacking you. Right. <laughs> like mm-hmm. um, I think this is an interesting card. I really like that. It's you have to draw like you and target opponent each draw a card. I think that's cool because I think that also could, you could, possibly combo with that i i couldn't think of anything that was mm, efficient efficient like it, it, all of the things were like four card combos at minimum yeah no i was thinking like well okay i'll like give him indestructible and then you know like maybe like blasting station and then like a mm-hmm. like the the thing that you discard cards and get tokens and like yeah no yeah it's it's janky i think it's just better if you're just reliant using it to sort of get cards in a political manner yeah yeah um but i i just like that this card exists i took me a while to wrap my head around this card Mm -hmm. um because it it feels like a flump to me flumps are like they're good like low level encounters so like they they actually like to help people and they go places where evil is so like in the art he's spraying a sleepy spray on like a bad bad person swinging a sword or something so um it makes sense that like a flump wouldn't hurt you or or anyone and mm-hmm. instead helps you so it, it just kind of took me a while to like figure out what am i what am i doing with this <laughs> where, where do i want to put this the next card though just kind of fits into some decks you know but uh i think this next card if we're okay to talk about it will have more implications outside of commander than inside of commander but it definitely mm-hmm. still has applications in commander so um, I don't know. Do you want sure. me to read it? Do you want to read it? Uh, go ahead and read. So this is Tasha's Hideous Laughter. This is a blue card. It is one blue blue for a sorcery. Each opponent exiles cards from the top of their library until that player has exiled cards with total mana value 20 or more. That's it. So you mill until you hit 20 mana value and then you stop. And it hits everybody, so it hits each opponent. 
what do you think about this? Uh, I think it's an interesting card. I've heard people talking about it in like CEDH circles mm-hmm. as a potential way to just really slam ad nauseum decks. Yeah. Um, so of course, like if you're building ad nauseum, you want your entire decks CMC average CMC to be incredibly low, and this could take out an enormous chunk of a player's library if if that's what they're trying to do. Um, and even in other CEDH builds, even like non ad nauseum ones, like the decks in that format or or that area of the format tend to be so low in terms of their CMC that this could take out a huge chunk of a lot of players' libraries. Um, and I guess the question is sort of like, is that valuable? Yes, um, because it is exile. So listener at home, it, it is not strictly milling. It is It is exiling cards. So it really depends. I think if you're in a meta with a lot of combos and you can get Tasha's Hideous Laughter back, which is not the hardest thing to do in the world, like you could find your opponents in a place where they can't win. You just have exiled a combo piece and that's kind of that, it, you know? Yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking. Like, you know, a lot of decks in CEDH are reliant on Thassa's Oracle based combos these days. So. If you can just get one of their combo pieces, like the Oracle or maybe like the Demonic Consultation, whatever they use to to exile their library, um, that would be. I mean, that's you're you've put them in a very tough position. Um, yeah. So that could be attractive too, but let's let's sort of pivot away from Cedh for a minute. What do you think the applications are in sort of uh, typical Commander circles? Yeah, so I think for most players, um, this, honestly, if you're playing like a mill the table strategy and it's not like combo mill the table, this is probably like probably fine. I I don't actually think it's going to hit that many cards most of the time. I think you're going to hit like, well, depending on the deck, it's going to hit like it's probably going to be like between three and like seven cards, depending on the build. I was thinking around seven is reasonable. Cause yeah. I mean, your lands are not going to count for That's towards true. the CMC. Yeah. And so if your average CMC is like three or four, it, or, or even like if your average CMC is like three, it'll, I, I was thinking cards, like, yeah. Yeah. So. That's that's kind of where I was evaluating it. Yeah. No, I mean, that that's kind of how I feel about it, too. Like, it's it's basically like a glimpse the unthinkable that, like, hits everybody for three mana instead of one person mm-hmm. for two. And that's, I mean, it's not not nothing, but... Uh, it's unfortunate. It's, yeah. I think it's a little unfortunate that it... Um, and, of course, like, in most situations, it's great that it exiles rather than mills. But in, like, the premier mill commander Bruvac, oh yeah th- this will not work with his ability like you're not gonna uh mill twice as many cards unfortunately yeah definitely um so i don't know this card's in a weird spot I-, I think it's definitely powerful but it's powerful in a way that commander doesn't tend to care about yeah uh maybe in like 60 card formats it might get a little bit more traction mm-hmm. yeah definitely um but that said, I guess, do you want to move on to the next card? 
Yes. Uh, this next card is pretty strong. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so this is Power Word Kill. It is one in a black for an instant. Destroy target non-angel, non-demon, non-devil, non-dragon creature. So what do you think of this Doomblade variant? Uh, I think this hits most creatures you're going to care about. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I think it costs one in a black. Um, and that's great. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, uh, it's definitely very good. Um, but there it's worth noting that there are a lot of creatures in these categories, um, that see a lot of play in commander. Yeah. I was just kind of flipping through the, the number of like angels, demons and dragons and, and I guess devils and, and like the, their EDH rec rank. And there's just a lot of, of cards that like are in 20,000 decks, 10,000 decks. Yeah. Um, and so it's, you know, I, I guess like it, it's a little bit meta dependent. If you are in like a, a splashier, higher CMC meta that runs a lot of these iconic creatures, then kind of sort of weigh it accordingly. But I think in like in our meta, for example, the, the CMCs are a little bit lower. There's less of those big splashy mythic angels and mm-hmm. demons. Mm-hmm. So I think it's going to be very, very good. I, I yeah. think I would add this to the canon of like good to cmc black removal spells yeah it's like heartless act is very good but also like misses some key commanders and stuff like that i I feel the same way about power word kill Mm -hmm. where it hits so many things but it's gonna miss on some commanders and big threats that you want it to really knock down so still pretty high on it yeah no i think it's a great card Mm -hmm. um this next card is Vorpal Sword. It is a single black mana for an artifact equipment. Equipped creature gets plus two, plus O, oh, and has death touch. It has this this very large ability. Five black, 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 so eight mana. Until end of turn, Vorpal Sword gains whenever equipped creature deals combat damage to a player, that player loses the game, and you can equip it for black, black. So one to play, two to equip. Eight to kill a player. <laughs> I, I don't know. I can't not see people trying to use this, you know? Yeah. I, I think that people are definitely going to try. For me, I think that activation is mostly trinket text. Yeah. Because you're you're going to be able to see it a mile away. Like, <laughs> even if they, like, quote-unquote, want to surprise somebody with it, it's one, it's a black two to play, two to equip, eight to activate. So you're paying five like generic and six black if you want to like surprise somebody with the vorpal sword it will happen but i think that more often this is going to be used as just like another basilisk color for Mm -hmm. the decks that are trying to do that like you know kelsey in the plague has a ping ability he's probably excited for another death touch equipment yeah ditto like olivia vildaren she has a ping ability would probably be happy to have this and I guess like Oros the Avenger, if you're playing that, deal, he'll, <laughs> deals three damage to each non-white creature. So another Death Touch equipment is pretty good in that list. Yeah, that's that's kind of how I feel about this too. Like this is another, like you can Trinket Mage it, you can search it up pretty easily. Um, and it gives Death Touch at a very good rate, gives power at a very good rate, at a rate we don't get on most equipment. And I think it's specifically because it requires so much black mana to, to use it. So mm-hmm. uh, I think it's just... A, Good card. All right. Uh, we have one more card that we're going to cover today. Uh, this is Prosperous Innkeeper. 
one and a green for a 1-1 creature Halfling Citizen. When it enters the battlefield, create Treasure Token. And whenever another creature enters the battlefield under your control, you gain one life. So I think this is probably a pretty narrow one. But I was thinking like in Belladross Witherbloom, um, because it's it's got that kind of like Verdant Force-ish ability, you're going to be able to gain four life per round of turns just off of your your Belladross trigger. Um, and then, of course, if you have other things going on as well, you can probably get to the point where you are gaining enough life that you get like a free Belladross activation once per round of turns. So that's kind of how I was imagining it. Uh, it also made sense to me in Valentine and Lizette, the uh, flip commanders from Strixhaven. So the Valentine, I'm not going to bother reading him, but Lizette is two green green for a 4-4 four, four legendary creature human druid. Whenever you gain life, you may pay one. If you do, put a possible swing at one counter on each creature you control, and those creatures gain trample until end of turn. So I think this will help you sort of set up some kinds of combos with Lizette, because if you get to the point where it's like, if you can ever remove a counter to create a token, like with a, I don't know, a spike breeder or something, uh, then you make that token, it triggers the innkeeper, the innkeeper triggers Lizette, Lizette puts a counter, and kind of back where you started, except you gained some life uh, and made a token. I think there's some combo potential there. Yeah. I haven't specifically looked into like combos with this card in particular, but I do think it's good in just triggering life gain cards. And honestly, like there's a lot, a lot of commanders that just make a lot of tokens. Um, and this kind of ramps a little bit, weirdly, making the treasure. So I, I don't actually think it's that it ramps and it fixes making a treasure. So I think there's probably something that like in a few weeks I'm going to mention on the podcast that I can't think about right now, but that does like a really good job of gaining life and making tokens. Like I'm trying to think like what Amara soul, the accord lists look like these days, stuff like that mm-hmm. where you're just making a lot of tokens and there might be something there with the life gain synergies, but I'd have to look, <laughs> you know, off the top of my head, I can't think of specifically a commander where it's like, this is absolutely the thing I've been waiting for, or a thing that I need. But I think, yeah, Belladross is probably one of the better ones, just because, like you said, you get all that life back. <laughs> mm-hmm. Just, there it is. It's all, it's all there. Well, one last thing I want to mention about this card is like, that is a really, really interesting type line. Um, yeah. <laughs> they they are introducing the halfling type. So I, I think this means that like we can expect other D and D races that don't have a good analog to get a, a creature type, to get officially get a creature type. Mm-hmm. Um I think I'm wondering if this means like I guess like Tiefling maybe potentially a uh a new creature type that we get. Oh yeah. So that could be exciting. I don't, again, I'm not incredibly well-versed with D&D, so there could be things I'm not thinking of, but that's exciting. And then also, Citizen, this is the first time it's appearing on a non-token creature. Um, So that's another new development. I personally don't quite get the difference between like when you would use Citizen and when you would use Peasant. Um, (laughs) 
when you want to be more respectful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe citizen is just like uh, what they're going to use to designate NP like NPC type characters. Yeah. <laughs> in this set, um, kind of curious how that's going to get used. Yeah, definitely. Um, so we'll see. So this this episode is merely a, a normal length of time for all of you listening. Mm-hmm. Um, next week's is oh, yeah. um we'll <laughs> be a big one yeah we'll uh, find out so i know some of you are into big episodes i know uh some of you listeners have a hard time like you don't have that much of a commute and you know i respect that so just a warning to all listening that um that you know the the spoiler season never ends these days and uh and it's time. Yeah, <laughs> the bell thank has you for told. sticking with us through the the long episodes. Yeah, uh, but we'll we'll try to get through it efficiently. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, definitely. So, uh, I think with that, we will just see you all next week. Yeah, I uh, want to give a brief thank you to our Patreon patrons. They are Gustav, Ryan, Mark, Rick, Raphael, Laser, Charlotte, Hannah, Anthony, Andy, Dylan, James, Justin, Logan, Roger. Evan, Bryce, Dylan, Benjamin, Jamie, Matthew, Jason, Kyle, Brandon, Kevin, Kaidel, Jeremy, Russell, Dylan, Leo, Ian, John, John, Tom, Micah, Troy, Roxanne, Charles, and Daniel. With that, uh, if you are not currently a Patreon patron but would like to become one, please check us out at patreon.com slash commander theory. Thanks for listening. Hello, theorists. This is Zach. Just at the end, popping in to say, uh, wow, there are a lot of spoilers happening. So, I have a question for y'all. We're going to do it the way we're going to do it this time. There's kind of no way to stop that. But uh, we've already seen a lot of spoilers. We're trying to be timely with putting them out. But just due to scheduling, have to be at a bare minimum like a week late on the spoilers. So, if you've been in our Discord, you've already heard a lot of the things me and Nick have said about this. So, a wink, wink, nudge, nudge if you want to get in there and listen to that. You could do that. But we also could just restructure the whole thing instead of doing it as the spoils come out and getting through it kind of as quick as possible that way. We could wait, do uh, like a little bit more structured thing, something similar to other um, podcasters and YouTubers where we do like an episode specifically about all the legends and then an episode specifically about all of the main deck cards uh, and or split that up over time. So let us know. Do you like the approach we have now do you care that we're a little bit later than the zeitgeist but not too much later or do you want just a very comprehensive set review and you don't care that it's um maybe a week or two after all the spoils have stopped so let us know me and nick are super interested uh we love hearing your opinions and we just want to make the show as good as possible for everyone and we want to make sure that everyone has as good a time as possible so yeah that's it Keep brewing, and we will talk to you later. Bye. If any of you theorists want to get in touch with us, I am at Commander Theory on Twitter and Tumblr, and Zach is at Fat Bartleby on Twitter. Our theme song is Lincoln Continental by Entropy, and you can check him out on SoundCloud. Until next time, we're going back to the drawing board.